Well, it's that time of the week again. It is time for Chit Chat Across the Pond number 663. It is today, November 29th, 2020, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth number 107. How are you doing today, hey. Bart? I am doing just fine. I'm um, mildly cranky. So I, I think I joked to you, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, show notes are finished. I'm going to put some miles under my tires in daylight, which, you know, when you're as far north as us in the winter is very rare. Between writing that message to you and getting my many layers of winter cycling gear on, a pea super descended. I, oh. I could basically see about 20 yards in front of me for my entire cycle. And I got, oh. I have spent the whole time wishing I had windscreen wipers on my goggles. Oh, no. Well, I did say today is November 29th because this is going to be another episode that I think I'm going to slide out a few days because we just did a uh, an episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond uh, with uh, Rod Simmons. So I think we're going to slide this a couple of days. A superb episode. Good, good. You like that episode. I did. I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I really enjoy a lot of the episodes I've been on. It's, it's fun to get to hear something new. <laughs> yeah, I do like the chit chat across the pond. You never know what you're going to get, except every other week you're going to get this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this one just for anybody, this is not going to make any sense to people listening later, but it was about screencasting tips and tricks. So I think yeah. we both learned some stuff from each other and that 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 always makes for fun. Plus, we're good the, friends. The, the philosophy of it was really fascinating, you know, how to think about how to go about teaching it. Oh, okay. Okay. I really, I really enjoyed that. And a lot of it is actually very relevant to this kind of stuff. I mean, this isn't the screencast, but it's the same concept, right? You're trying to meet the person where they are. You're trying to understand what your audience knows and doesn't know. What's explaining too much? What's explaining too little? When to, when to spell out an acronym and when not? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is actually, a lot of the, the philosophy of it actually applies because it's basically how to be a good educator. Yeah, yeah. A part of what we talked about was uh, having a plan of the story you're trying to tell. And like like you just said, where is this person? That, where is your audience? Where are they coming from? What kind of knowledge do they have? And getting it to them in a way that they can hear it. And uh, like I said in that, in that recording, it's really... I, I have a lot of people who tell me that screencasting is easy. You just turn on the recorder and you demonstrate something. I said, yeah, sorry, let me clarify. Good screencasting is hard. <laughs> Bad screencasting yeah. is very easy. Yeah, I mean, recording a podcast is easy. You turn on the voices memo and you start talking. Recording a podcast <laughs> that has listeners, that takes a bit more work. Right, right. Having some sort of structure to it. Well, anyway, actually, this. What's that? Sorry, just one last thing. Um how often have I messaged you the day before a podcast going, oh, my God, there's no certain coming together. I don't have a story. Yeah. Yeah. Or you you write 90 percent of it and realize that's the wrong story. And here's yeah, the I, right story over here. And you start over. And I don't think people I, I appreciate that your notes are amazing. What's harder to appreciate is the notes you didn't show us. Right. <laughs> the, the, the crap ones that wouldn't have gone in the right direction. Well, the, the, the magic of now that we're doing it all on GitHub uh, means that if you are so inclined, you can actually go back and look at some of my earlier drafts of some of these things. <laughs> and there are times when it starts off as a, you know, a 500 word epic that doesn't really go anywhere. There's a command A backspace gets pushed and it ends up being a way shorter, sane and sensible story. And I'll often say, to you, oh, the notes are coming together. Great. I have a story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and these notes came together nice, actually. I really like how these came out. They're not where I thought they'd go, but they did actually come together. So, yay. Okay, so uh, we probably should get started, but uh, but I think that's kind of fun to pull back the curtain a little bit like that. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's, 
Nice to give people a bit of background while we can. Um, okay, so where are we on the story of Git? Um, well, so far, we have been steadfastly avoiding making branches. We've been keeping our timelines really nice and linear. So we just have a straight line between our first commit and the most recent commit, and all of our commits in between are just a nice straight line. And I like it that way because it gets really hard when you go into branching. Well, it doesn't have to. So we're going to go into branching in a very controlled way. Okay. So we're not going to go there all the way in one installment today. Um, we're going to we're going to lay a very solid foundation today because branching is where Git goes from a science to an art. <laughs> and an awful lot of it is about deciding on a strategy and sticking to it. And if you get the strategy right, you will probably be able to avoid stress. Particularly, you'll be able to avoid almost always the dreaded merge conflict. Okay. It, having different strategies, is it um, choose your own strategy that you like? Or are you suggesting there is a strategy that, that will help you avoid the dreaded conflicts? It is. No, there's no, there's no one answer. So okay. you yourself... Yeah, we, we, we'll hope we'll leave for that for a while. But no, it's definitely, definitely, definitely not a there is a right answer. This is one of those okay. things where you put four Git users in a bar and get 10 opinions. <laughs> okay, because I was just wondering, because I get advice from Helma and from you. And uh, it, sometimes I'm like, well, that's sort of the opposite of what he said. But uh, yes. so I just pick the parts I like. Correct, 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 correct. And yeah, exactly. That's it, exactly. And the one thing I will say is you will get it wrong. And that's part of the process. The thing to do is not to get it wrong in the same way twice. <laughs> Choose new ways to get it wrong. Okay, good. Correct. I have not failed. I have merely found 10,000 ways that don't work. As uh, a certain, I think, was, was that Edison? I think that was an Edison quote. Oh, I don't uh, remember. I like it, though. I think it was talking about failing to invent the light bulb. And he did eventually succeed on that one. So good on him. Anyway, if you would like to play along, uh, we're continuing with our repository from before. So there's a zip file for this installment called pbs107.zip. If you extract that zip file, you'll find it contains a bundle file, pbs107a.bundle. So if you make a new directory called pbs107a, there's my first typo of the day, it says mkda or pbs106 and then cds into 107. That won't work very well. Uh, so you mkda or the same name you cd into. Okay, hang on. We're going to wait for me for just a second again, because I always do this wrong. So I made a copy of the bundle file and I put it directly in, but I want to create a folder called PBS 107. PBS 107. I'm it next to the bundle file. PBS 107A to, is what the show notes say. So have it in. So you want the bundle file and the new folder in the same, their peers. The same level. At the same okay. level. Um, and then, so make that folder and then change into that folder. Okay, but uh, so it should be PBS 107A. Yes, that's what the show notes will say when I correct the typo. Gotcha. Okay. I'm going to do it on my end because I already fixed a, uh, one before. So make your PBS 107A. Mm -hmm. This is the great joy as I'm fixing the same file he's working on because we're managing this in Git. Yes. So uh, now I want to move into PBS 107A. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. And then? Then we turn it into a Git repository with Git in it. Right. And then I'm practicing this. 
we have our copy paste for turning the master to main if needed and only if needed. I'm getting that problem of scrolling across lines. I can't tell what's, ah, that's all one line. That makes more sense. Yeah, be careful of uh, the width of your screen is if you're copying and pasting any of these because you, you can't actually tell where one line ends and the next one starts. All right, and then I'm going to pull. And then you do a git pull from the bundle, which will suck Got it. the bundle's content into our shiny new repository, which basically means we have started where we left off last time. And I have oh, okay. added one commit in between in, in downtime. Um, so, you, okay. yeah. I like this method because I haven't been keeping track of the old ones. <laughs> so you're, you've, you start us over where we left off if, in case we messed it up. Yes. And it also helps me, frankly, because it means that I don't have to be on the same laptop every time. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start into new stuff, I've actually gone and edited the show notes from last week. And I'm now going to make the same correction here in person, in voice. Um, so we talked last time about using Git checkout not to move into the past, but to reach back and grab specific files. Right. And we said that it was Git space checkout space, the hash of the commit we were interested in, followed by minus minus, followed by the, the files we want. And I said that minus minus means don't go back in time, just go fetch the file. That's not true. As listener Jill was kind enough to point out, minus minus is very important and has a really important meaning, but that's not the meaning. Git checkout will, if you tell Git checkout to go check out a specific file, it will, it will go get the file and not time travel. It will not bring you back. It will only go fetch the file. Whether or not you put in the minus minus, that's what Git checkout does if you tell it a specific file path. What the minus minus does is it says to Git, Everything that follows me, no matter how much it looks like a Git argument, is not a Git argument, is, is a file name. Because there's hmm. no reason you couldn't have a file name that has the same name as a valid Git flag. So by saying minus minus, you're saying to Git, everything from here on in, take it literally. I mean a file called. Okay, so you could say uh, Git checkout, put the hash, and put a file path, if that file path didn't have any misbehaving things that would make it think it was Git, it would have worked. Correct. But by saying minus minus, you guarantee that you're telling it, this is the file path I want. This is not anything else you should, you know, these are yeah. not the file path, or these are not the commands you're looking for. Correct. So basically says okay. to Git, I'm done talking to you. These are files. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as Jill wrote it, my brain was like, yep, and image magic works the same way. And I just started listing off all the different terminal commands I already know that do exactly the same thing with minus minus. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. So minus minus means this is going to be a file path? It means take everything after this literally. These are not options anymore. These are not flags. This is literal. Okay. So if they, I mean, it depends on the command. If the command is expecting a string, then it means that even if this string looks like, if you want to give the string minus minus force, well, if you don't have a minus minus to say stop treating this as arguments, then it's going to see minus minus force not as the string that you want to pass in, but as an argument, as a flag, right? So if, if you imagine okay. a hypothetical command that would convert everything to uppercase, if minus minus force was somehow meaningful to it, if you didn't have the ability to say, no, no, stop taking me, stop trying to interpret what I say, take it literally. Okay. Then you could never convert strings that also have a meaning. 
Okay. Okay. So this is not definitely not unique to Git. Correct. Correct. It's basically a way of saying everything that comes after this, take it literal. Don't try to interpret it in any sort of way. I mean exactly what I typed. Okay. And in well, this case, thank you to Jill for that. So thank you definitely. very much, Jill, for that. Exactly. So that was a very worthwhile. So the show notes from the last installment have been corrected and a note has been added saying, if you're listening along in the podcast episode, you're going to hear us say it wrong. <laughs> we correct ourselves in the next installment. Um, so it's all okay, about board and transparent, but that way people reading it won't read wrong information. So the wrong information has been banished. And, and that is a note to the listeners. If you hear us say something wrong, you should tell us. Both Bart and I would rather get the right information across than have our, and at the risk of our egos being bruised, I think we would rather be found wrong and told wrong. I mean, I may, I may argue with you more than Bart would, but uh, <laughs> we would like to know if we're saying the wrong thing because that affects yes. people, right? Correct. Exactly. And the whole point is that the, I, I see these and so this whole program by South as a community event. And I've got a lot from community input. And so that the end result should be nice, accurate, easy to read installments that get to live on the internet for many years. So if there's a mistake in there, let us know so that we can fix it so that what lives on the internet for many years is correct. Right, 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 right. You know, and I mean, if it's a simple typo, great, that's easy to fix. Send me a pull request if you're in the mood. Um, but if it's something more complicated, like I was just flat out wrong, I want to know that even more than a dumb typo. Because that's actually right. worse than typos. Right. You could be wrong forever, not just the internet version <laughs> of us, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So with our correction out of the way, let us talk about Git branching. So before we dig into branches, let's take a moment to remind ourselves of sort of how Git records history. So in Git universe, the history of your project's arrival to the present day is basically a collection of commits, right? The atom of your history is commits. And each commit is a complete snapshot of your repository at that point, at a point in time. And those commits have relationships to each other. Uh, specifically, a commit has a parent commit which came before it. And that's true of every commit apart from the initial commit, which obviously has no parent. It's an orphan. And for normal commits, every commit has exactly one parent. There is an exception to this. We'll learn about it in a moment. But for normal commits, you have exactly one parent. And, open, you know, so if you think about it, you have a bunch of things with relationships between them. If you're even vaguely mathematical, you know that that's, that's a graph in graph theory sense, not the pretty picture sense. It's a series of connected nodes, which means we can draw it out. We can visualize it. So mm -hmm. the way to visualize, or a way to visualize a Git repository is to imagine the initial commit on the right. Time flows from right to left, and every commit will be moving along from right to left, and there'll be a line from the commit to its parent. And when you okay, connect you're going to make me crazy. In what world does time start on the right? Time starts on the left. Yeah, did I say right? I meant left. Yeah, <laughs> it moves from left. He to was right. showing me. Uh, we're watching a video, and I'm just like, this is going to make my head explode. Time starts on the left and goes to the right. And I mean, there are countries that read right to left, so maybe it does it that way where they live. Yes. No. I, I was being very Western. 
Whatever I said, <laughs> and I think the show notes are correct as well. Yes, that, they are. Okay, good. So zero initial commit on the left, and then time flows forward from, from left to right, and you have all of your commits stretching out. And so far, we've had a very simplistic situation where all of our nodes, all of our commits have had exactly one parent and exactly one child. So it's just mm-hmm. a straight line. You have your initial commit on the left, you have the head commit on the main branch on the right, and all of your other commits are just a chain between those two endpoints. Nice and simple. Right. Now, it is going to remain true for a while that every commit has one parent. What's not going to remain true for much longer is that every commit is the parent to only one other commit. In other words, commits will have more than one child. And if you imagine drawing that out, you start to get bifurcating lines. Instead of one line going from left to right, you now have branching lines. Okay. So you have a tree-like structure. So in Git speak, what does Git mean when Git says a branch? Right? So in Git, a branch is a named reference to a commit. And that commit is to be considered the head of the named branch. And the branch goes from the head back through all of its ancestors to the initial commit. So if you imagine our number line-like current sequence, you can pick any commit and say, I dub you branch number one. Well, then branch number one goes from that commit to its parent to its parent, and it keeps going until it meets the initial commit. So that section of the number line is a branch. It's a very boring branch. It's entirely parallel to main. Okay. But it is still a different branch, and you just give it a different name. Okay, that bothers me a little bit, but all right. Well, you're going to have to get over that. (laughs) (laughs) No choice. All right. So when you... when you tell Git, this is a branch, all you're saying, you're just pointing at one commit and saying, this is the head of my branch. Mm-hmm. But when you check out a branch, you're telling Git something more important. You're saying, this, this here is the top of the current branch. And when I type new stuff into the working copy, I want you to compare it to that commit that I have told you is the head of my branch. Right. And when I make my next commit, you're going to give that commit the parent of the current the current head of the branch and you're going to move the head of the branch forward to the new commit so that makes sense to me once once it has actually it the the branch has a a, a new commit mm. i can picture that being separate from the main branch but you wouldn't want it to only know it's it's history back to where it branched off you need to know all the way back to the to the main so that, that, that makes more sense that the initial creation of that branch, even though it hasn't branched off yet, that it, it has to know all the way back to the main. Otherwise, yeah. when, you, when you move the head up into the next piece after the next commit, then it wouldn't know its history and that would be stupid. Correct. But basically, when you, at the point you create a branch, it's 100% parallel to the branch it's branching from. Hmm. It's just a subset of that branch. Okay. Because you might have branched off in the past. You don't have to branch off at the present. If you branch off at the present, the two branches are 100% identical. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, God, you're going to branch off in the past. That's going to make my You can if you again. like, right? So, <laughs> in fact, every single commit in your Git repository is technically speaking a branch. 
You just haven't named it. And the whole point is you're not going to bother your backside naming anything that doesn't have a meaning. So in theory, there's many, many branches. But in reality, you only care about the ones you name. And the important thing is that you should only do that for a specific reason and you should give it a meaningful name. Okay. Branch with purpose and name carefully so that the name carries meaning. Right, that's Can I not give an example forced. to listeners that I think is going to uh, maybe simplify things for them that I've, I've started to understand branching a little better, just a wee bit better. Uh, Bart has the published show notes are up to PBS 106 as of the time that we're recording. But he has to write the PBS 107 notes. And what he was doing before was he would be writing them in what was essentially the live place that you see the content so his his machinations as he's building it would be very visible and maybe you know published on the web being indexed by google yeah yeah so this is not what you want so what he's been doing is he's been creating a branch that he names in this case pbs 107 wip for work in progress so that way that's a separate branch it's not really being part of the other stuff And we work on that. And then hopefully in this lesson, we will learn how to merge back that branch back in at some point. But he's naming it with a meaningful name and he has a reason for doing it. He's doing it so that this is not a publishable. It's less discoverable. It's still out there, but it's less discoverable. It's not published on the web. It's just in the Git repository. Oh, I have to think about what that means. So pbs.bartofficer.net is a website. And the content of that website is the branch master, because I Ah, haven't named it yet, on the Git repository. So anything not in master is not on pbs.bartofficer.net. It's only in GitHub. Okay, which is on the web, but not... It's not a (laughs) website, yeah. Not a a website. It is not pbs.bartofficer.net. Okay, I I get the distinction there. So that's kind of an easier example than trying to think of a coding example, I think, is is he's writing a book. He's got a chapter he doesn't want to publish yet. He's going to merge that back in when he does. But for now, it's on a branch. It's got a name. It's a meaningful name. And he did it for a reason. Exactly. A perfect example. Yes. Okay. And really, the difference between... A terrible repo that's a disaster to work in and a repo that's a joy to work in is, frankly, how good you are at figuring out what your policy is for branching and when you have figured out a policy, sticking to it. Because there's hmm. no point in coming up with the world's best branching policy and ignoring it. Then you is haven't... publishing that policy as part of a readme or something a good plan? It depends on the project, right? If I was running the Apache project, there would be a, I would have a section on my website called Rules for Developers, and one of the many things in there would be the process for creating and managing a branch's lifecycle. Why do we okay. branch? When we branch, what do we call it? When we're done on the branch, how? Do, what is our process for unbranching, for merging, in Git speak, the changes into something else? I wish somebody would write that for me for my projects so I would know how to do it because <laughs> I don't See, This yet. is the thing, right? So while you're working with yourself, it's kind of up to you to figure out what you want. And this is, this is why I'm now introducing this concept of a branching strategy because the, the only way to get good at it is to get it wrong. So best to do it while you're working on repositories by yourself. <laughs> okay. Before you start to try join larger communities where you're going to have to you're going to have to partake of other people's policies until you start hosting your own open source projects, at which point you have to be the leader. <laughs> and it does kind of help to know what you're doing before you try to lead. 
Okay. So I want to actually spend most of this installment talking about the concepts here. We will get practical. I'm, I'm going to let you take the horse out of the stable today, but we're not going very far. Okay. And next week, we get to go on a giant big horse ride. Uh, or next <laughs> installment. I have no theory we're going to get most of that out of the way today. So I really do want to stress that this is an art, not a science. So this is like a craft or something. The, the only way to get good at branching is to branch. And you will get it wrong. And the key point is to learn from your mistakes so that you get it wrong differently. So basically, try, evaluate, tweak, try, evaluate, tweak, try, evaluate, tweak. Bit like photography, you're never going to be done learning Git, ever. There's okay. always more to know. Um, so don't be afraid of making mistakes. Just be afraid of making the same mistake over and over again. That, that's not good. So I have been very careful in these show notes up to now to always talk about creative projects because you can use Git to manage anything you can stick in a file, right? If it exists of files, it can be versioned in Git. It can be anything. It could be a book. It could be some sort of quilting project where you're saving your patterns in some sort of file format for quilting. I know nothing about quilting, but I'm sure it's possible. It could be anything. But now that we're going to start talking about, you know, how we should manage our branches, now it's time to stop. We, we acknowledge the fact that Git is way more powerful than what we're going to use it for, but this is programming by stealth. So from now forward, I'm hauling us back to programming. Okay. So if you were using Git for other things and you absolutely can, you will have different considerations and your strategy for managing your repository will be completely different. And we're just not going to speak to that in programming by stealth. We're going to speak about how we keep source code sane in Git. So our okay. focus is on code. <laughs> Bart has in the show notes, because this is programming by stealth, not Git for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, let's, let's be clear what we're trying to achieve here. Focus on your audience. That would be a show, but that's not the show we're doing. <laughs> Correct. And I'm not qualified to do Git for everyone. Um, so every, every project is different because you have different human beings. You have different things you're trying to achieve. You have a different output you're trying to get to. So no two projects are ever quite the same. But there are many similar concepts, but more important than similar concepts, there's actually a sort of a more underlying sort of concept, which is that there's a goal that you absolutely need to achieve, which is clarity. And I will very strongly defend my opinion that the best way to test if your branching strategy is working is whether or not you can tell which commits contain functioning code and which commits cr contain some sort of limbo in between state. Hmm. If you can't most, tell. Most of my code is non functioning limbo state code. <laughs> but that's fine because you should be capturing it as you go so that, so, so that you, know, you don't want to have a week's worth of work that you haven't committed and then your computer goes kaput and you've lost a week's worth of work. You have to commit that stuff. The thing Ugh. is, when you look at the repository, you should be able to tell it worked here. And then we went through a transition phase, and here it works again. And if you so can't the way tell, I've been doing that is commit messages that say things like uh, "totally broken," uh, "tabs not working," you know, "code dysfunctional." I mean, is that is that all you do? That is that is a strategy. I would. There are better strategies, I think, that are clearer. Okay, good. But that is a valid strategy, right? Uh, you know, you have you had a problem to solve, and you find a way to solve it. So. At the end of the day, if you can look at your repository, I, to me, there should be two things you should be able to, to tell. 
So you should be able to look at the repository as a whole and know which branches, when you check them out, will contain working code. So some branches, like, say, PBS 107 WIP, that's clearly not a completed anything, right? So if you Mm -hmm. check out the PBS 107 WIP branch, you should expect to find something in an in-between state. But if you check out master, you would expect to find fully functional PBS. Right. Which is also not entirely true. Well, maybe. No, it is. We're we're getting... Steve and I, or Steve, Bart and I are getting better at the handoff back and forth because he's making me do parts of it so that I learn this. And uh, there are times where that might not be true because of things I've done, but I think we're getting better at what is the expectation of the two of us in it. Correct. And after the next installment, that it will become true that Master never contains anything apart from fully ready code. Okay. Not quite yet. We're getting very close to it. So being able to look at the repository as a whole and knowing which branches you can check out to get working code is the first thing that I think is vital. But Hmm. actually, it goes deeper than that. Not only should you be able to look at the repository as a whole and find the stable branches, you should also be able to look at specific commits and tell whether that commit is a limbo commit or a stable commit, a functioning commit. So I'm... hmm. In general, my branches are are never stable. So I'm curious why you'd have a stable branch. Like if it was stable and functioning, why wouldn't it be merged back into the main? The main's a branch. Well, okay. but So no, 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 seriously, one of the most common strategies is main must always be functional. All development work happens elsewhere. That is a branching strategy. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. And that meets the goal. If it's main, it's... It is functioning code. If it isn't main, it isn't. That's clear. Okay. Right? Huh. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be clear. So but I, be- I guess uh, I'm thinking back now to an example you gave before where you might have version 1.0 released of your code and you're working along and you're working on version 2 and uh, you've got a tag that, that was version 1. Now you work on version 2 and you've got a stable branch, but you're not going to... you you. Uh, that doesn't necessarily apply back to version one. Correct. But it is a different branch. Now, yeah, so tagging it is certainly the first thing, but once you've tagged it, at that point in time, the moment there's a bug found in 2.1, you have to go beyond tagging it and actually branch it. And then a 2.1 stable or something like that, you you probably post-fix it with stable. Mm -hmm. And so you would have your 2.3 in development. You would have main containing working code at all times and then you have a 2.1 maintenance branch that's just sparked off and it might Mm -hmm. have another branch off it going fix bug number 53 and then when that's not you know limbo code you merge it into the maintenance branch of one point whatever and it's now stable Mm -hmm. again and so you would have two stable branches moving forward the old version that's only getting bug fixes or security updates and the new version that gets shiny new features But on both of those, so you now have two branches that are safe to check out, but off both of those will be feature branches where you're working on adding a doodle hick and working on fixing a security bug and you'll be branching those back in. So when you look at it, you could have 10 branches. Eight of them will be things you're working on, but two of them are stable. The two point whatever stable and the three stable. Wow. (laughs) 
that's a strategy, right? <laughs> I'm just trying, trying, you, you've made us go way more complicated straight away. Okay. Yeah. So okay, we'll back that, up. Let's dial back a little. Okay. So there are three strategies that I think, in my mind, there are three really common ideas. And you basically take a little from columns A, B, and C, and you sort of end up with what actually happens in the real world, which is some sort of mixture of these ideas. So let's start with the most basic idea, main plus dev. So this is a two-branch strategy. So your main branch is where your functioning code lives. Mm -hmm. All your development work is done on a single parallel branch called dev. And only at the points where it's not in limbo do you take dev and merge it into main. So main effectively jumps forward, pauses while you go ahead on dev, and then main jumps forward. And then it pauses while you go ahead on dev, and then it jumps forward. So you only jump main forward when you have arrived at the next non-limbo state. Okay. It's a very simple simple strategy, right? Because you just have all my dev work happens here, and main jumps whenever it's ready. Now, that requires that you only work on one new feature at a time. You have to be very disciplined and only do one thing at a time. And when you're finished that thing, you jump main forward and then you do your next thing. And then when you finish that next thing, you jump main forward and then you do the next thing. So every developer listening who thinks they're disciplined, raise your hand. Uh, Can I sit on both of my hands? Uh... (laughs) I mean, you know, in reality, what you're doing is you're working on this new feature and you get stuck. So you start working on a different new feature. You start cleaning up some code that that you had, you know, always meant to make that format look a little bit better or something like that. Correct. Something to keep work going forward while you're stuck. Yes, absolutely. Um, yes, that that is a very, very, very real world thing. And actually, that's a really good way to solve problems. Do something mundane, and the answer will come to you. So yes, the right. main plus dev approach is extremely simplistic, but it's not a bad first approach to keep for at least a week or two. <laughs> Until it all goes in the pooper because you're not disciplined. Okay. Right. But the thing is, once you've once you're comfortable with that idea of main plus dev, you can actually take it to the next step, which is feature branches. So it's the same basic idea, but sort of instead of one dev branch, you have many dev branches. And you don't call them dev branches, you call them feature branches. So if you're working on three features, you will have your main branch and you will have three feature branches. And as inspiration strikes you'll jump over and back between your three feature branches and at some point one of those features will be complete and then you merge it up into main and then you jump around on your other two feature branches and when they're ready they go up into main and then you decide to do a fourth feature so you make a new branch how on earth as you're doing that do you keep in your head what exists on this branch because I'm always jumping around to different spots in my code and messing around with things. And and if that thing I fixed over here isn't fixed over there, what well, you're talking about just features, not not mm-hmm. broken pieces. I, I can't picture me being able to keep in my head what exists here because I'm in this alternate timeline, right? I'm in the mini world scenario over here. Uh, to some extent, naming comes into it. So you sort of want to break your workload into distinct pieces of work. So the more real world your situation is, the easier this becomes. So when I have my work hat on, we have we manage our stuff through, it's not GitHub, it's, it's like GitHub, but it's an open source project that you self-host. It's called GitLab. Okay. And so when someone finds a problem, they will open an issue in GitLab. And I will then make a branch 
named after that issue. Okay. And so I know exactly what's on that branch. I'm trying to fix the fact that my doohickey's missing his twiddly bob. Okay. So the description in the issue will help you figure out what headspace you're in. Okay. So the more formal you are in terms of, and this is why when I'm doing, when I'm doing open source stuff, even like say XKPassWD, I will use the issue tracker in GitHub because that will inform my branching. Okay. So I'm going to make it. Okay. So people are complaining that there isn't a French dictionary. I'll make a branch for that. Okay. Grant. And I'll call the branch after the issue number. Mm-hmm. And then when I finish the branch, I can close the issue. And in fact, GitHub has really nice features where you can actually say that this branch matches that issue. And when you close the issue, or when you merge the branch back in, the issue can auto-close and stuff like that. So you can actually connect the two together in GitHub, which is really cool. That also reminds me, when we were working on Taming the Terminal, Helma had me name my commits all of the times I remembered to do it with the issue number that was associated with proofreading, for example. Yes. So yes. I think it was 11. And so it would be 11 dash, you know, blah, what I, whatever I fixed in the, uh, in the yeah, commit. Yeah, in GitHub, if you put a pound symbol 11 into the notes for a commit, they get actually, Git creates a link to the issue. And so when you go to the issue, it will say closed by, and it will list the commit. Okay. Okay, so that's why she had me doing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I say GitHub does some nice bonus extras on top of basic Git. And one of those is connecting the issue tracker into the Git branches and commits and stuff, which is really useful. So, so the I idea... Think the key feature of this, this, uh, this path number two, strategy number two of feature branches is to be uh, disciplined in understanding where you are and naming these branches so that you know, while I'm in this branch, don't go fix this whoopsie doodle because that's not in this branch. I'm supposed to be working on the formatting of that button over there that looked Correct. janky on the iPhone. And if whoopsie doodles okay. need fixing, there should be a branch for the whoopsie doodles. Okay. I am going to totally name my branches whoopsie doodle. <laughs> we go. <laughs> yeah, I think we have a new favorite word. Boogers and whoopsie doodles. I like it. So the third strategy is something that only applies to larger real world things. So with a feature, so you start with main plus dev and you realize that having only one dev branch isn't good enough. So instead of a dev branch, you have multiple feature branches. The next step is to say, instead of having a main branch, you have multiple main branches, which are called release branches. And so... The only way to make this make sense is to give you a real-world example. And I'm very boring, so when I give a real-world example, I actually mean what I do in my day job. So Moodle is an open-source virtual learning environment. And because this is a very large piece of software that gets deeply integrated into a university's student record system and so on and so forth, you can't just upgrade it on a whim. So Moodle versions have a long life. Now, every six months, exactly, there is a new version of Moodle released. But they don't stop supporting the old one straight away because universities cannot respond every six months. Like You can't do a major in-place upgrade on a mission-critical system every six months. Your academic year is a year for a start. And if at all possible, you'd like to give it a couple of academic years before you do a major upgrade. So right now, today, in November 2020, there are four main branches in Moodle. Hmm. There, There is, today's 
official release which you should use if you're creating a new Moodle site. And it is on a branch called Moodle underscore 39 underscore stable. And it is Moodle 3.9. Now, last summer's version of Moodle is still getting security fixes. So it still exists, Moodle 3.8, and it is on a branch called Moodle underscore 38 underscore stable. Now, because universities don't like to change very often, there's also a long-term support release. And as of today, the LTS version of Moodle is Moodle 3.5. So 3.6, dead. 3.7, dead. 3.8 is getting security updates. 3.9 is current. 3.5 is the LTS. So if you Mm. want to use the LTS, the branch where you will find the latest working LTS is Moodle underscore 3.5 underscore stable. And Mm. actually, in January is when the next release is due. So actually, Moodle 3.10, and yes, they have called it 3.10, not (laughs) 4.0. That is already available if you want to do a little bit of planning ahead and check your code and stuff. And that is available as Moodle underscore 3.10 underscore stable. So oh, what that's is, not going to sort well at all. It's not. <laughs> the amount of open source projects who have new versions out going updated to deal with three-digit branch numbers. <laughs> One of which is my open source um, JavaScript Moodle library for handling Moodle version numbers, which completely <laughs> broke because for as long as Moodle has existed, it has had two-digit Moodle underscore two digits underscore whatever. And now all of a sudden we have three digits. It broke a lot of things. But anyway, that's how they heard it there. The key point is there is no main. There are four mains at the moment. And you know they're safe to check out because they end in underscore stable. Okay. So so when the Moodle developers are building a new feature, it is not added to any branch that ends in underscore stable until it's completed. So there are lots of feature branches of each of those release branches. But the thing is, when I go to the Moodle repository, I know it is safe for me to take the latest Moodle 3.9 on Moodle 39 stable or the latest Moodle 35 on Moodle 35 stable. So that's the naming convention gives you the clarity. These branches are stable and all the other branches are are feature branches. Okay, okay. So you can see how you end up with taking those three ideas and you will end up with a very specific rule. So in the case of Moodle, the specific rule is we end them in in underscore stable and we have a naming convention. You don't have to do it that way, right? The Apache project will have Apache 2.5 and Apache 2.6 under development at the same time. There was a security update to Drupal that was on Drupal, was it 8.8, and 9.0 or something? Lots mm-hmm. and lots of real-world software has multiple parallel releases. And so there will be matching branches for the latest stable version of each of those parallel releases. So that's how you end up with main plus dev exploding out into first main plus feature branches and then release branches plus feature branches. Okay. This so, this could still be useful to know even if we aren't working in a big environment with a lot of people working on something. If you want to contribute to an open source project, you find a feature, you should probably make sure you're on the latest feature branch, not looking at an older one. You're not looking correct. at 3.5 stable. You're yeah. looking at 3.3.1.0 stable. Exactly. Yep. That's it. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So that, I hope, gives you some idea of the kind of concepts that are involved in starting to use branches. So with all of that said, let us now have a first stab at the PBS branching strategy.
Okay. Magnum opus. It is a three-rule strategy because I like it simple. So, the first rule of PBS branching strategy one. The main branch will only contain functioning commits. If it's on main, you can check it out and the code will function. First rule. Okay. Second rule. All development work will be done on a branch named dev. Third rule. Only one conceptual change will be worked on at any given time. So we're starting with the simplest possible rule. Do one thing at a time, do it on dev, and only when it's ready does it go anywhere near main. That is a strategy. It won't last long, but that is our starting strategy. Okay. Now, this is, I'm going to take a little aside here for a moment and say that way back in installment 102, which is our first introduction to Git, we mentioned that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of Git GUIs, and that while we're going to be working on the terminal, it's still a good idea to get used to the Git GUIs because a lot of the times it's very useful to see pictures of things. Mm. Well, that is now true. Because we are now starting to make branches, and describing a branch is hard. Viewing it in a GUI is easy. So now is the perfect moment to start having your GUI open at the same time as your terminal. So as we type in the terminal, you will see it change in the GUI. Okay. So for the remainder of this installment, I'm going to be showing screenshots from my favorite client, which is Git Kraken. So we're going to do, we're not going to use Git Kraken to do anything. We're going to do everything on the terminal like we always have. But I'm going to show you screenshots of how those terminal commands affect the state of the repository by showing you the GUI from Git Kraken. And it doesn't matter whether you use Git Kraken, the same will apply whether you're using, uh, what is it, the one from Atlassian that you like, uh, Source Tree, uh, so many different Git GUIs out there. As I say, we talked about it in episode 102 with links to different ones, different resources. So I would just say, if you've been on the fence about bothering with the GUI, now's a good time to just have the GUI open, just just to watch, just to see. And I know this sounds funny, but uh, I'm actually finding it useful to use both Git Kraken and uh, Source Tree. Part of it is is like teaching myself to be bilingual by just always being bilingual. I go back and forth. But there's some things where Bart has said, well, you just do blah, and it's supposed to be easy, and he's trying, and uh, I'm trying to do it in Source Tree. I'll learn it in Git Kraken. And so when I talk to Bart, I tend to have Git Kraken open. When I talk to Helma, I have Source Tree open. So I'm, I'm speaking their lingua franca in, in terms of, you know, looking the upper left or bottom right. And it's made it where I think I understand it a little better because I know two different ways of looking at it. I don't know the command line way to look at it yet, though, so I'm, I'm going to do all of it at the same time. When I was, that actually reminds me of something that I noticed when I was at university, that having a lecturer teach you a concept is good. Having a tutor teach you a concept is good. Having a tutor teach you the same concept as the lecturer, but teach it to you differently is great. Ah, yeah, yeah. And that, to me, was always the value of having tutorials, was that you have the same information presented to you in a different way by a different person, and that really helped to concrete it. So in this case, having reality is the repository. And so Git Kraken is a view of reality, and Source Tree is a view of reality. So two views of the one reality is more informative than any one could ever be. So that's a, that's a great strategy. And- and to add on to the lecturer thing, the, the lecturer, if you ask them a question, they have a bad habit of saying it louder or <laughs> saying the exact same thing they just said. 
And he's like, well, you're a big help if I understood. It wasn't that I couldn't hear you. I didn't know what it meant, what you said. Yeah, the problem, oh God, I think the worst lecturer we ever had would come in and his idea of lecturing was reading the book out loud. It's like, I can read. I'm at university. I came all the way to university. I can read. I had a guy who was world renowned, literally in control theory, and he photocopied the book and then put them up as, as, you know, flimsy slides on the overhead projector and would point to him and not use any of the words. He'd say, you take this and that, you do that. And then this and this and then do that. (laughs) Worst professor I I ever had. Well, this guy had a wonderful trick where every now and then he'd go off piste and he'd stop looking at the book and he'd try to work it out by hand and he'd just get it wrong. And then he'd go, yeah, the right answer's in the book. (laughs) So he didn't know what he was talking about. Actually, it turns out he's an absolute genius. He just was teaching a subject he didn't care about. Ah, They should never have had him teaching first years. The guy was was an absolute genius and his actual research was amazing. But he should have been let nowhere near a first year room. Because (laughs) we were supposed to be being inspired, whereas that was not the outcome. (laughs) Anyway. Before we start making branches, we should probably get familiar with the command for showing us what branches exist. So the full git command to see a branch to see the branches that exist is git space branch space minus minus list. But because listing branches is the most likely thing to want to do with branches, git branch with no arguments of any kind defaults to listing the branches. So if you're in your PBS 107A folder and you type git branch you will see that it lists all of the branches that exist, one branch per line with an asterisk in front of the current branch. At the moment, that is a one-line output. Asterisk main. Huh, okay, because we don't have any branches yet. We have, no, we have one, main, and it is the current branch. (laughs) Okay. Main is a branch. It's just the one that you're given by default. So that's not particularly exciting. Uh, We can open the same thing in git kraken, and we will see that git kraken doesn't go left to right, it goes bottom to top. So the initial commit is at the bottom of git kraken, which is a very, very, very good approach, because when your real-world repository has 500 commits, you don't want to have to scroll further and further down every week. You would like what's current to be at the top of your screen, and your level of scrolling to be dependent on how far back in time you made the boo-boo. Right. Um, so it's actually very sensible that now is at the top of your page and forever ago is at the bottom of your page. So you'll see in Git Kraken, it's a straight line from bottom to top, from initial commit to the head of the main branch. You'll see that it shows the commits and the avatar of the person who did the committing, which in these commits is really boring because it's me, 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 and me. Um, it shows the commit message next to each commit. And the branches are shown to the right, left, God, commit messages on the right, branches on the left, connected to the relevant commit with a line. So it's a square label with the name of the branch and a connection to the committed matches. And the current branch has a nice big tick mark. So right now there's one branch called main with a tick mark because that's the branch that's checked out. So that matches exactly with what we got on the command line, star main. I think that uh, Git Kraken is a little more clear on that, uh, the way they show it graphically. In uh, Source Tree, you've got in the left side panel a whole bunch of different things you can look at, like you can look at tags, remote stashes, all these things we don't understand yet. But then one of them says branches, and underneath it will be all of the branch names, and in bold is the one you're on. So Git Kraken has that too. 
So to the left ah. of this diagram I screenshotted, Gitkraken also has a menu, just like you describe, where all the branches are listed, all the remotes are listed, and we don't know what they are yet. All the tags are listed, we definitely don't know what they are yet. Issues. And so Git shows yeah. it twice. So once in the picture and once in the menu. Yeah, so Git Kraken's maybe a little less space efficient. If you're on a smaller uh, screen, maybe you want to use the way SourceTree does it, but it's visually has, to me, that's a lot more information displayed that way. Yeah, I, 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 it, there are many reasons I adore Git Kraken, and one of them is the fact that I only have to look at the picture because I, I'm that kind of person. <laughs> I'm a picture person. Show, show me the yeah, picture. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And you actually had a funny moment a minute ago where I asked Bart to uh, pause uh, Audio Hijack and it didn't have a pause button with the two vertical lines, so he couldn't find it. It said pause, so that yeah. proves it, right? It's a button that says pause recording. It's like a bloody essay, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, was, looking for, I was looking for two bars. I couldn't find it. I was like, I can't pause this. Okay. Anyway, so now that we can see our very boring repository, let's make a branch. So the command to make a branch is shockingly git space branch space name of branch. So. All right. We type git space branch space dev. And now if we type just git branch on its own to list our branches, we now see two branches, dev without an asterisk and main with an asterisk. So we've made a branch dev, but we're still on main. Main is still our current branch. So how does that look in git kraken? Well, git kraken hasn't changed a lot. It still says main, but next to main, pointing at exactly the same commit is now a plus one. And if you hover your mouse over the plus one, then main expands into main and dev, and main is in a brighter color with a tick mark, whereas dev is in a dimmer color with no tick mark. So in other words, both main and dev have their head at the same commit, and main is checked out. So that's why main gets to have its name on it, because that's where we are. And it says, oh, by the way, there's another branch here too. It's called dev. Another thing to like about Git Kraken is it did that without any sort of screen refresh or anything. Just as soon as I type git branch dev, it automat it had that plus one. And in the left sidebar, it says main and dev. On source tree, I had to click on branches for it to instantly refresh and show me dev and main. Yeah. And now get, in the in get, the main listing, it says main and dev right next to each other. Yeah, so it so is I, clear visually there. I, I think Git Kraken uses macOS's uh, file system events API to oh. proactively listen for changes. Oh, interesting. So okay. it's really up to date, which is great because if you're making new files in your favorite editor, and so if you want the Git Kraken view of reality to be nice and accurate. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, so I really, I, it's another reason I love Git Kraken. You're selling me. Yay. Okay, so, right, so we have the plus one icon, we expand it out. Okay, so we've made a branch called main. Well, let's go there. You mean a branch called dev? Yes, indeed. And I said main, didn't I? Yeah. Uh -huh. So to go to a branch, we use git checkout and then the name of the branch. So we just say git space checkout space dev. And you'll see switch to branch dev. And now if you look in git kraken, it says dev plus one. And if you hover over it, main is now the one that's less obvious, doesn't have a tick mark and is a darker color. Right. If we do a git okay. status, it tells us on branch dev, nothing to commit, working tree clean. Great. One more update on uh, on source tree. You don't actually have to click on the branches. You just have to click on the window anywhere and it refreshes. Okay, well, that's still better. a little nicer on git cracking. Yeah. Okay, so 
merging branches. It's all good and well to make branches. So you're going to make a branch, do some stuff, but you do kind of need to, to, to bring it back together. Right? And in Git jargon, the bringing branches together is called merging. So if you run into a problem with Git, it's probably when you try to merge branches. That's probably mm-hmm. the point where the um, expletive hits the spinny thing. Um, now, Git is extremely good at figuring out how to integrate changes together automatically. But when there is a point in time where there are two edits to the same part of the same file, it's not, it's not a matter of Git not being smart enough. It is a case that it is theoretically impossible to automatically determine how to merge those files. What's needed is an informed decision. So mm. when you hit the point where it is mathematically impossible to know how to consolidate these changes because they clash with each other, Git has to ask a human being what to do. And in Git lingo, when it reaches this state where it just cannot do it automatically, Git triggers what's called a merge conflict. In other words, so you've an example me- of that would be you've got the same line changed in both commits in, in these two branches. Yes, exactly. So you have one line that says, hello world, and in one branch you change it to hello world poopy face, and the other branch you change it to hello world Allison. How do you, which is right? Which one do you pick? Well, a human has to decide. And maybe the answer is, hello world, poopy face, Alison. Or Alison, <laughs> poopy face. Right. Right. So the only way for Git to resolve that is to, to, to trigger a merge conflict and make the human decide. Now, now it's, it's not logical conflicts. Like you may have written code that's going to conflict with, you know, line 27 is going to screw up what you did on line uh, three. It doesn't know about that. It's just if the same thing has been changed in, in both versions. Correct. Get it, get, get just these files. So as long right. as it can merge the file content in a, in a mathematically correct way, it'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. What that means in JavaScript or in English or whatever, mm-hmm. that's up to you, the human, to take care of. It's your project. But Git will automatically merge the actual files whenever possible. And it's very good at it. But Okay. When you give it something impossible, it's not magic. It can't read your mind. It absolutely must do a mer- It actually must ask for help. Now, okay. the good news is that with a little discipline, you will, you will have a life with extremely few merge conflicts. And in fact, depending on your branching rules, they may be physically impossible if you stick to your branching rules. So our current three-rule system cannot trigger a merge conflict because you work on one new feature at a time on dev and you merge it into main only when it's ready. So at the point you're merging into main, there is nothing it could possibly conflict with because you've done one change on the dev and you're bringing that one change up into main. Conflicts are impossible with this highly simplistic branching strategy. Which is why I get to not deal with merge conflicts for another two weeks. (laughs) Cheater. (laughs) Yes. Well, I don't want to distract with hard stuff from the important stuff. Okay, good. So for today, we can't have a merge conflict. They do exist. And when you start having multiple feature branches, you can have them happen because two features can interact with the same part of your code. And then you have to make an intelligent decision about how to implement both. 
Mm-hmm. And so then you have a merge conflict, you have to deal with it. So we will t- we will tackle them, but not today. So when you want to merge a branch, Git actually can merge branches in one of two ways. It's called a full merge using a commit merge or a fast forward. And the fast forward is like merge light. Fast forwards are great when you can do them. So before we look at a fast forward, let's look at what it means to do a full on merge. So when you do a full-on merge between two or more, Git allows you to merge more than two branches together. It's called an octopus merge, which is wonderful. (laughs) But they're very rare. To be honest, you generally merge two branches. That's more than enough to be getting on with, trying to merge three branches, four branches. But in theory, you could merge 10 branches with an octopus Mm. merge. You will have conflicts, right? (laughs) If you try to merge 10 branches, you will have conflicts. Um... So in general, you're going to do a plain old merge. So a merge commit is that special commit that has more than one parent. That is what makes a merge commit a merge commit. It has multiple parents, one on the branch you're merging into and one on the branch you're merging from. So the merge commit is what unifies the two branches back together. Okay. So, so it they'll has... start having one, uh, one parent at that point. Yeah, so a merge commit is a special commit whose job is to reconcile changes. And it's the only type of commit where you have two or more parents. Because your job is to merge. So a merge commit has multiple parents. Other commits have one parent. Yeah, so that's what it means to be a merge commit. So when you need to actually do a full-on commit, you have to do one of these merge commits. And the merge is directional. So the currently checked out branch is like, the one you're merging into. And you say, I am on main. I want you to take dev and merge dev into me. And so the new merge commit is on main. So one of its parents is main, but all of its children will be on main. And its secondary parent is on dev. So you merge, so you're saying that you're on main and you're merging dev into main. So a merge isn't symmetrical. There's a, you merge into a branch. Now, if there have been no changes on main... Actually, can I stop you for just a second? You can, yeah. So that if you had a, a dev branch and a bug fix branch, mm-hmm. you could merge the bug fix branch into the dev branch. Yes, absolutely. And then later merge the dev branch into the main. You don't always have to go to main. Absolutely. You can merge any okay. which way you like. And depending on your branching strategy that actually might be a requirement. So you might actually say that we have a release schedule that we only update the main branch with anything that's not a security update every six months, in which case all of your feature branches are being collected onto a next major version branch. And then every six months, you've merged that one up into master. I mean, you can have all these strategies, right? So absolutely, branching is, is not just against main. Branching is any two branches. Okay. And your strategy will determine what makes sense and what breaks the rules. They're not Git rules, they're strategy rules. Okay. So if you have a dev branch, say, and you've done a few commits, and in the meantime, absolutely positively nothing has happened on main, you don't have to create a new merge commit. You can instead what we call fast forward main to dev. And what that means is that you take the commits you've done on dev and you move them to main and you slide the branching point forward. 
That sounds like what it always does. It's not what it always does. It maybe it does. It's what it does by default. Okay. Unless you tell it, no, no, I want you to do a full merge commit. Or if there is even one commit on main that doesn't exist on dev, oh. then it will have to do a full on merge. You can yeah, only you fast it. forward if main has nothing. If main hasn't diverged is the git term. But if main diverges, okay. then you can't fast forward. So if you are uh, triple disciplined, even though we've already determined we're not single disciplined yet, uh, and, and you branch into dev, you do your dev and then merge back to main and never, never touch main while you're off on dev, then you could fast forward. Yes. Yes, okay. then you can always fast forward. If you leave main completely alone, you can always fast forward. Now, okay. when you move into the world where you have multiple feature branches, that's not true anymore because while you've merged off feature one, feature two might have finished and already gone back into main, at which point right. main has diverged from you. So then you have to do a full merge. Right, right. Come back up. Are the commands different for this fast forwarding versus full merging? Yes and no, depending on whether you have a strong opinion. So... <laughs> Git has default behavior, which is fast forward if possible. If you're okay. happy to let Git choose, then the command is no different. You just say Git merge, tell it what to merge, and let Git do its thing. Okay. But your branching policy might actually force you to have an opinion. And hmm. in fact, we're slightly peeking ahead because our strategy does force an opinion on us. If I make a limbo change on dev, and I fast forward, then the limbo change comes on to main. But we've said that main should only ever contain fully functional commits. So then I don't want to fast forward. Then I want a merge. Okay. Because I don't want that limbo commit to pollute my main, because I have said that main is sacred and shall not have anything that isn't ready. So that's where okay. you would not want to fast forward, even if you could. Got you. Okay, now for today, we're going to do a practical example. And I have intentionally, and I swear, it genuinely was intentionally, there is a typo in the one commit I added to our repository since last we spoke. I managed to type 107 as 1007. How silly of me. So if you open up uh, readme.md in your favorite text editor, please replace installment 1007 with installment 107 and save the file. Okay. You can now stage and commit by saying git add readme.md to stage and then git commit minus m fixed typo to commit our change. All right. And if I don't type it exactly as you say, I will get a different hash. You will. Now, for today, the hashes don't matter. So okay. You can, you can spell differently if you like. <laughs> All right. So I've committed it. So in git kraken, we can now see that main and dev have separated from each other. Oh, yeah. So main is one commit behind dev. Now, git kraken has, has a very interesting design choice. Those are two branches, but they're on one line. Yeah. Git, git kraken keeps them on one line as long as they can fast forward to each other. Oh, so that actually means something. That means something. If they are on the same line, that means I can fast forward main to dev. 
Yeah, so I would have expected to see this branch stick out and be separated. I mean, that's the whole idea of this branching thing, right? Correct. But in Git Kraken lingo, as long as things are fast forwardable, they're basically at different times on the same line. And so it draws it as a straight line, but one of them is behind the other in time, which in Git Kraken GUI is below the other. Okay. If we were to do something else on main, then Git Kraken would draw two lines because they're now no longer fast-forwardable to each other. So that is a choice that some people love and some people hate, which is why different people prefer different GUIs. So I like so, Kraken's approach of only cluttering my screen with parallel lines at the point in time when I'm forced to do a full-on merge. Okay. Just for information, uh, Source Tree appears to be keeping it in a straight line as well. Okay, cool. I have definitely seen other clients over my years of using Git that diverge them straight away. Okay. It's a choice. This makes me want to go change main just so we can see it branch, but eh, I'll follow next the directions. Time. <laughs> okay. We will definitely, definitely do that next time. Okay. So we are now in a situation where dev has its typo fixed. That's perfectly functional code. So that actually can go straight into main. So we can actually fast forward that because there are no limbo changes in between. We've gone straight from one working state to the next working state. So we're all good and we can fast forward it in. So. This is the bit where the command line suffers a bit, in my opinion, and I wish it didn't work like this, but I'm not Linus Torvalds, I don't get to set the rules. So when we're doing our work, we have to have dev checked out. Mm -hmm. But when it's time to merge dev into main, we have to check out main and then pull dev in. Okay. You see, you can't slide down into main, back into main. You have to go to main and... Well, we don't want to use the word pull because pull means something else. Exactly. Why don't we use the word merge? We're going to go to main and merge dev into ourselves. Okay. Whereas mm. when okay. you're using a GUI, I can just pick up dev and get cracking and drop it onto main. And it will go, would you like to fast forward main to dev? And I go, yep. Yes, I would. But we're not doing the GUI. You can try it there. It won't do it until you click OK. So if you, if you pick up dev and get cracking and drop it on main, one of the options you'll get is fast forward main to dev. Okay. But we're going to do that from the command line. So first step first, we've got to go to main. So we say git checkout main. And I'll say switch branch to main. And now we're going to say git merge. But because we're being explicit about it today, I'm actually not going to let git choose. I'm going to tell git, no, no, I want you to fast forward. And if you can't fast forward, I want you to give me an error because I really do want this to fast forward. So. The way you do that is with the minus minus FF minus only flag that says, no, no, I want a fast forward. I don't care what your default behavior is. You're not, you're not in charge. I am. So git, so we, we say git checkout main. Then we say git space merge space minus minus F minus only space dev. So you're saying fast forward main to dev is what you're saying. Okay. You're not the boss at me. Exactly. I get to tell you what to do. <laughs> And so now, when we look on the Git Kraken GUI, our state is pretty much back to how we started, but there's just one extra commit. So instead of both dev and main having one line coming out of bumped installment number to 107, we now have both main and dev coming out of fixed typo. Okay. So that's where we're going to draw a line under it for today. Um, but, you know, it's pretty obvious where we're going next. The obvious next thing to do is to do some real merges with a merge commit. So we then have parallel lines in our pictures. 
And you're gonna do a conflict, and I'm gonna avoid conflict for another. Oh, come installment. on! No, the, the <laughs> conflict will come when we get to feature branches. Uh, but we're that's sti- what you think. <laughs> <laughs> so what we are going to learn about next time is Git tags. Oh, good. Because if we update our strategy slightly, we don't have to be so opinionated. We can, instead of trying to fight against Git's defaults, we can make Git's defaults work for us. But to do that, we need to introduce tags into the mix. So we need to update our three rules. There'll still be three of them, but they'll just be slightly different. So next time we get to do Git tags and a real merge. And we'll take it from there. Good. I, I'm i going to tease out that tags are much more interesting than you think they are in your head right now. You think of tags as just being like, oh, I've tagged this photo as it's a dog or it's a tree. This means this kind of tagging is uh, real powerful. And I had no idea when I first heard of it that it meant something. It means yes, a lot. It does. And it's another case of you need to have a strategy. You need to have naming schemes. Because that way, your your tags are really powerful. They have properties. yeah. I made a bunch of stupid tags to start with because I didn't know. I they mean, they're fine. Tags. You can delete them, right? They're not permanent. You can you can delete a tag and it goes away. But yes, for tags to have meaning, for tags to help you, for tags to make your repo better, they need to ha- they need to be created strategically and well named, just like branches. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, this was fun. Excellent. Well, until next time. Happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to let's-talk.ie 